You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide for general music teachers. The Elementary Music Newbie Guide is perfect for those new to teaching music and those who are looking for a bit of a refresh. This free PDF will guide you through setting goals, determining classroom expectations, making connections, and thinking through classroom procedures. To grab your free copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash newbie. That's thatmusicteacher.com slash N-E-W-B-I-E. I can't wait for you to hear this episode with James Robinson all about teacher burnout. Unfortunately, teacher burnout is something that is very real in education in general, but I think especially within the quote-unquote related arts or whatever you want to call it, the music teachers, art teachers, physical education teachers, because it's so easy for us to be isolated. So I think it was a really important topic for me to chat with with James, and I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. James Robinson received his Bachelor of Arts degree in music education from Limestone University in Gaffney, South Carolina, where he currently serves as the Assistant Director of Athletic Bands and Instrumental Music, the Faculty Advisor for the LU Collegiate NAFME Chapter, and teaches the non-major percussion studio. Previously, he taught 2nd through 5th grade general music, including an all-age honor choir, handball ensemble, and the World Percussion Club in Gaston County, North Carolina. Robinson has presented professional development sessions for various state and local education associations with topics including relevant repertoire for elementary students, music tech in the elementary classroom, music teacher burnout causes and prevention, and the impact arts programs have on student mental health. I absolutely loved this conversation with James, and I hope that you're able to find some ways that you can recognize the signs of burnout and also ideally prevent the burnout in your own career. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to talk with James Robinson about teacher burnout and why it's a problem and what we can do about it. So, James, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me on. So before we dive in, I always want to start by giving everyone a little bit of background on who we're hearing today. So before we kind of really talk in about our topic today, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to college, where and what you teach, and all that fun stuff? Yeah, so I actually started out college um, at Gardner-Webb University. Um, and while I was there, I realized that I really wasn't mature enough to handle university life and the responsibilities that follow through with that. Um, so my first two years at the institution was very rough. Um, but that is also where I met my wife, Elizabeth, and she convinced me to kind of get myself pulled together. So I transferred to another college, uh, Limestone College in South Carolina to finish my degree out. And, uh, starting fresh like that really helped me focus in on my life goals and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and really, you know, she kind of put me on that U-turn path towards success. 
Uh, and right now we live in Gastonia, North Carolina, and have two puppies. Um, one's named Spud and one's named Sadie. Uh, as far as where do I teach, I taught elementary music for a couple of years in Belmont, North Carolina, which is right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I currently made the jump, a drastic jump, to uh, being the assistant director of the athletic bands at Limestone University, uh, which is where I went to college. It's since made the jump to the university name. Um, and I've only been here a month, but I really enjoyed the change in age group. How exciting. What a what a large shift going from, um, you know, elementary education to the collegiate level. So I guess, I, you know, I know you're just getting started, but I hope that that's something that you really continue to enjoy. Yeah. And I've found that like a lot of the um, things that you learn about in college about elementary education, really, it's only the surface of what you need to know in order to successfully teach music to elementary students. So I've really enjoyed getting to like interact with uh, music ed majors and help out in that capacity too. Oh yeah, that is one of my soapboxes. One of those hills that I'm glad to die on is that we are kind of sending elementary music teachers, especially all teachers, but especially elementary music teachers, kind of throwing them out into the fire and just hoping that they make it through. Um, so I'm glad that you get to kind of influence some undergraduates um, as they explore um, through the um, the programs that you're um, doing at Limestone College now. So before we keep diving in, other than teaching, other than music, what is something that really brings you joy and that you're really passionate about in your life? So during the pandemic, I took up woodworking as a hobby. Um, things like cutting boards or picture frames. Uh, I've acquired some power tools. And I really enjoy woodworking because it gives me a chance to kind of turn off the outside world and focus my time and energy into making something that's not necessarily music related. Um, and I also like to do uh, like technology type stuff, I've built websites for people um, as like a side thing where I have a lot of fun doing that. And I also like to make uh, digital flyers. If I find quotes I like, I'll make a little Instagram uh, post picture thing with it. So just little bitty uh, tech stuff like that. Awesome. And I have to ask, do you do any wood turning? Because I could watch those videos for hours. I actually have not done wood turning. Um, I'm very intimidated by it. Uh, just from watching people make drumsticks or batons and different things like that. I just, I, I've not gotten there yet. <laughs> Yeah, and it's definitely something that I'm sure that if you don't do well, it's going to end very poorly. But like, Adam, I'm not sure if you know Adam Garlinger from Garlinger Batons, but he makes custom batons on the lathe. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I could watch him live on TikTok for days because it's just so fascinating and so um, relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go ahead and dive in. I know you talk about that you had a little bit of a um, a different path with how you got into music education, how you pursued your degree, but really what led you to initially seek a degree in music and music education? And then how did you end up teaching elementary? And then I guess now, how did you end up uh, making the shift to the collegiate level? Well, uh, music was the one thing throughout you know elementary, middle, and high school that I felt that I was confident enough with to be successful at. I didn't, I don't think I was a very great student. You know, I had average grades. Um, and even in high school, I was an okay player. I did enough to either get by or succeed a little bit, 
But out of everything that I had experienced, music was the one thing I felt that I could really go for. Um, so I registered as music education as soon as I went to college, um, even at the very beginning when I really wasn't ready. Um, but I didn't fall in love with education itself until my last year at Limestone uh, it's Limestone College when I went, it's Limestone University now, so I might mix those up a little bit uh, just from talking. But um, my last year at Limestone University, through my conducting class and my elementary and secondary methods class uh, for music ed, really showed me the uh, intricacies of education and how people learn and how things work and how when you do something specific, it has this effect that might cause something else to happen, which could make another effect. And it's, it's just all fascinating. Um, my elementary school position, I actually applied to a different school than the one I worked at and they decided I was not a good fit for it, which was fine. But my portfolio was, um, I guess nice enough that she felt the need to pass it on to the next person. So I got a call about a week after I interviewed at the first school saying that I could come and interview for a job at this other school, which happened to be uh, Belmont Central Elementary School in Belmont, North Carolina. And so I went and interviewed, and they called me the next day, and that's kind of it. Um, it was never my, I guess, career goal or really a goal at all to teach elementary music at that point. I, I applied for anything and everything in between. But once I started, I quickly realized, like, elementary music and music classes in general, no matter what age group, it really is what you make it. Um, I thought that I wouldn't find joy in elementary teaching, but I quickly learned, like, if I just forget about the age group for a minute and just teach music, then that was fulfilling. Um I absolutely love that, you know, it is what you make of it because we talk a lot about, you know, I, and I've interviewed and had many conversations with a lot of people who, and, you know, myself included that never thought we wanted to teach elementary, but then we fell in love with it. And then I think it's also important for us to realize that there are a lot of people teaching elementary that while they might not hate it, it might not be their end goal or it might not be their their biggest passion. But I love the fact that you talk that, you know, it, if when you, if you take away the fact that you're, you're teaching elementary and just remember that you're teaching music, that that can really change um, your headspace, the outcomes for the students. And I think that's a really wonderful way to put it is that you get what you put into it. Yeah. And, and so I, I love that job. I love the people I worked with. I love the students. It was um, uh, my wife likes to tell me that it was a once in a lifetime place to be just because of how supportive the administration was and everything. But I knew that my career path was not strictly rooted in elementary music. And I knew that I wanted to make a change to an older grade level um, with my career in game being uh, collegiate teaching. So I was on the uh, North Carolina Music Education Association website, just perusing around and I saw that Limestone University had an opening for assistant athletic band director. And this was the last week of July. So I thought, you know, I, you know, I'm about to start this another school year in this elementary position. So I could apply for this. If I get it, that'd be awesome. Be a real big change. If I didn't, I'm still happy with where I'm going to be. So I applied for it and, uh, did the interview and, uh, they actually offered me the position. So um, it allows me to sort of grow as a musician and educator um, 
and also I still have the opportunity to go uh, visit schools, you know, COVID policies pending um, to kind of recruit for our programs. It also lets me work with school age children too, with the different camps and stuff that we have. Uh, so it's a different type of music than I was making with my kids at the elementary school, but I think it's going to be a wonderful place to be. I love that. And I, I love that you, you know, you're excited to not only are you going to be able to make music with these undergraduate musicians, but you're also going to be able to start working, you know, and building that program and being in the schools, hopefully when the world starts opening up again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a really cool way to say that, you know, you're making music in a different way, but it's, it's still music and it's still awesome. All right. So I, I know that I, I I could just chat with you all day, but I really want to dive into teacher burnout because unfortunately, especially during COVID, it is a huge problem for teachers in general. But I think especially music teachers, sometimes we can get isolated in a way that makes it even worse. So mm-hmm. I want to start off by saying, why do you think burnout is such a problem in the teaching profession as a whole? Um, I'm a huge fan of Leonard Bernstein, and I really love watching a lot of his YouTube content that people have posted. And during one of his Young People concerts, uh, it was a tribute to teachers. And I'm going to read this quote. It says, teaching is probably the noblest profession in the world, the most unselfish, difficult, and honorable profession. But it is also the most under, unappreciated, underrated, underpaid, and underpraised profession in the world. And he finishes with it. So today we're going to praise teachers. Um, you know, teachers give so much of their time and their money and really just their entire lives to a profession that some people view as nothing more than state mandated babysitting. Um, they don't teach just math, science, English, music, art. They they teach students how to be people. Um, they teach them how to function. And they teach them what it means to be a member of their community that they're a part of. And on top of that, they get evaluated based on standards that don't really take into consideration the other part of the teaching profession. They take content and uh, content delivery and how they manage their content that could potentially affect their livelihood as a teacher versus what they actually do every day. Um. And on top of that, music educators have a particularly rough time, I feel, sometimes being appreciated in elementary um, because even inside of the little community there, it can be seen that specials are often viewed as a place to let teachers have their break. Oh, my goodness. So much wonderful answer right there. Um, but I want to stop and unpack that a little bit because I know you talked about, you know, we teachers in general are just more than just teaching a subject. We're teaching how people need to exist. And I, I think that is very true. I think there's so much that we teach that isn't part of the standards, but isn't so, so important in just character development, just how we interact with each other. And then bringing it back into the, the music classroom, particularly the, the elementary music classroom, I think you hit the nail on the head with the term specials. I know a lot of people have mixed views of this, um, but at the root of the term, a lot of times specials becomes, is kind of synonymous with that other stuff. When in reality, it's specialized and we're specialized teachers, not specialist teachers. And I know there's a lot of people that are on a lot of different sides of this, 
But I, I agree. And I think that's where a lot of this kind of us against them stuff start happening within the schools, even within the teachers themselves. And that alone um, can be really, really detrimental when it comes to um, teachers' mental health. For sure. And I think that, uh, and you said, you know, uh, when you were, uh, when we were going into this question, that sometimes it can feel like you're on an island and like you're alone and by yourself and just trying to navigate through these things and why it's so easy to burn out. I remember, um, and I might be skipping a little too far ahead into the narrative here, but I remember at times when I was burning out where I would, you know, talk to a colleague or talk to somebody and say, you know, I'm surrounded by people, but it feels like I'm on an island. I feel like I have, like, I'm here by myself. Even if, I, even though I had the most supportive administration, um, supportive coworkers, I still felt like I was just sitting there spinning my wheels alone. So it really does take its toll when burnout starts to affect you. I agree because I, part, unfortunately, burnout is a very, and, you know, mental health stressors is a very real part of teaching. But like you said, when we have that, the feeling of isolation, that can really exacerbate a lot of what we're feeling and kind of create some opportunities where it's a lot harder for us to um, deal with that in, in a positive way. So I, on that point, what are some of the signs of someone who is starting to burn out, at least in your experience or what, what you've heard with, you know, in your own experience and talking to others, what are some things that if people are feeling or seeing that they should start kind of saying, Hey, these are some of the things that I might be starting to burn out. Yeah. So, um, and just to pull up a statistic I've done with some of my research, uh, it says that, up to 30% of all educators can show symptoms of being burned out at any given time. So even the beginning of August, you know, you might have that teacher that worked summer school that's burning out and then they have to start right back into August. Um, so anyways, uh, some of the signs, um, they'll be fatigued. They'll be tired. Uh, you may feel yourself, you know, lacking energy to do things. You feel drained, depleted. Um, which is something that I really experienced. I would, you know, I was the type of teacher that would be at school at 6 a.m. if the doors didn't open until 7.30. Um, but as time went on, I found it was harder and harder to get up and to go uh, to do anything. And that was something that I think I noticed right away because by the time I would get to school, I would feel anxiety, which is another sign of burnout. Um, anxiety over the fact that I might not have enough time to do everything that, you know, was on my list or that I needed to get done. Um, forgetfulness, having trouble concentrating is also another sign of burnout. Um, you may also get frequent headaches, uh, shortness of breath, which I think tends to relate back to anxiety. Uh, it can also cause your immune system to become weakened. Uh, you get sick a little bit more. You may get a common cold, but then it knocks you out for two weeks. Um, and then into a more severe side of that, uh, some early stages of burnout, you can feel depression. You can feel like you're worthless, feel like you're trapped. Um, you could even feel like you're, the world's better off without you. Your students are better off without you. Your school's better off without you. Um, but you know, if it does get to that point seek professional help. Uh, 
you can feel angry, you can lose enjoyment in everything that you do, especially at school. Um, and you start to become negative about everything, which to me is one of the most uh, crippling things to be in an elementary setting is if you are negative about everything because those students will catch that and just run with it. For sure. And as I'm sitting here listening to all those like potential signs for burnout, I'm thinking I can't really think of any teacher who at one point or another in their career didn't feel like this. And that really kind of breaks my heart because teaching is so important and teaching is what I'm called, what I feel like I'm called to do. And I feel like so many others are called to do. But unfortunately, this is part of the reality that we're in. And I think COVID is definitely exacerbating that. Um, Like, for instance, I until we started back this school year. I didn't realize just how burnt out I was last year. I was battling some really difficult schedules that were making it really hard for me to do any sort of meaningful education. And then we had the COVID stuff going on. We had virtual and hybrid and then in-person, not in-person. And it was really hard to for me to kind of reconcile who I am as a person when I wasn't able to actually make meaningful moments of education. And I was so burnt out that I didn't even recognize the signs. And I, I think that's one of those things that when you're in that spiral of burnout, it can be really easy to just ignore those signs. So what strategies do you personally use? Um, I know you said that you've experienced some of these in the past, but what strategies do you use to prevent yourself from burning out or to kind of practice some self-care? Well, I, it was brought to my attention um, by some friends and my wife that I really, really did not have anything going on in my life by choice that was not related to education or music. Um, I would research things. I would listen to new music. I would study scores. I would do all these things, and I would never take a break. So um, – you know, we mentioned earlier what things do I enjoy doing outside of music and teaching. Uh, woodworking was the hobby that I chose to give myself time away from my career. So I recommend, you know, finding a hobby that has almost nothing to do with what you're burned out on. Um, I know some people like to do drawing and painting and some people like to uh, go hiking or ride bikes. Um, mine, mine was woodworking. And really after I found that, that made me see like, okay, yeah, I was investing so much time, even though I was burning out, I was investing so much of my time into this one thing um, that I didn't even notice that it was just destroying me. Um and for getting back into that teaching groove, you know, if you're if you're still burned out, if you're uh, if you haven't had that rekindling yet, um, I just keep a running to do list for each day, and I set a time for when it needs to be done. And if it's not finished, okay, then I put the things that aren't finished on the next day's to do list, and I start over. Uh, but I try to set a time for when it's when I need to turn off that mode. And I know as teachers, musicians, music educators, turning off at a certain time of the day really doesn't work. Um, you know, if you think back to when you practice in college for, you know, a jury or uh, a lesson or something, you may practice early in the mornings or you may practice at midnight. Either way, you have to get those hours in. You have to do that work 
to be the best you can be. Well, you know, that can lead to burnout as well. But with teachers, I mean, teachers don't stop working at three. They go until who knows when, and then they get up the next day and keep going. Um, so that's another thing I do. Make a list, try to stick to a time limit. Um, I also try to leave now that I've started working in uh, university, I've tried to leave my computer and a lot of my work in my office on the weekends. Uh, so I'm not doing stuff at home. Um, I was really bad about sitting in the living room and we'd watch a movie or something and I'd have my laptop out doing school stuff and not realizing like, by the time I closed my laptop, I'd missed the whole movie. I'd missed the evening with my family. I just completely spaced out. So finding time away from work. Again, so many nuggets of just wonderful in this, that answer. I, I my personally, my first experience with, with burnout was was an undergrad. I I burn out really hard, and during student teaching, I actually ended up basically having a major um, mental health emergency uh, because I just I wasn't doing anything to help my burnout. And kind of as I was rebuilding from that and kind of you know figuring out what went wrong, I realized I everything my entire life up into that point, music had been my release, and then music became that stressor. And I didn't have any other releases. So I love how you brought up the fact of getting some hobbies or things or releases that aren't necessarily music. I mean, for me, that music teacher, the whole reason it exists is a, it's a release for me. I mean, yes, it's related to music education, but it's the the entrepreneurial, the, the social media, the tech side of it that I absolutely love. And it's just different enough that it gives me a little bit of um, of a release when music is the stressor. And I think that's really important for you to have something that isn't music or that isn't education related, uh, at least entirely, so that when music is driving you nuts, you you have something that can help you with that. Because there's nothing worse than being stuck surrounded by the thing that's stressing you out. And then the only thing you can think of to help you is more of that thing. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And you know, when I would talk to colleagues that weren't music teachers, maybe they were teachers. Um, they would say, well, you know, I, I like to play guitar as my, you know, time away, or I like to do karaoke or I like to play piano. And, and, you know, that's great. That's great for them. I hope that those, the, the people that aren't teaching music and, and stuff, they find, release through music especially if they've not chosen it as a career i mean that's kind of the one of my one of my points as teaching elementary music it's like you know we're not here to train the the next level of professional musician we're just here to make you fall in love with it so you'll keep making it when you leave um so that's great for them but that doesn't work for me because i spend so much of my time like just like you said, stressing out about it, and and just really spinning my wheels in that. Um, so yeah, for sure. And also, uh, just doing small things for yourself every day, uh, even if you can't find time for hobbies and you can't find time away, do something small for yourself. If if you know you have thirty minutes at the end of the day to watch your TV show or something, um, and it would make you really happy just to throw your blanket in the dryer for five minutes and get it out and have a warm blanket to watch your show on, then take the time to do that. Do something that, you know, can be considered uh, spoiling yourself or something that would be 
uh, considered like health, self-care. 100%. And I love how you, you brought up the fact of that work and home divide, because this is something especially for newer teachers to figure out. I mean, if it, especially when you think about college, all we do is everything is combined, right? <laughs> you know, you might be at home in, in your dorm, but you're thinking about your jury that's coming next and you're, you're, but so coming up with that, that, that line is really hard. And one thing that I've kind of figured out the way that my schedule works is I start my day at the ele- the middle school. So I actually start my day an hour before the elementary school where I end my day. So my day technically ends an hour before the elementary school ends. So mm-hmm. I have three days a week that I don't teach lessons after school. So those three out three days, I stay an extra hour to do lesson plans and things like that. And then if it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. And I know that that can be hard. And I know that sometimes there are administrators that make it really difficult for you to say, if it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. But I've figured out, you know, strategies and things like that, that have helped me get done what I need to get done in that those extra three hours and during, you know, after school and then during my planning time so that I don't bring work home. Because I think it's important that if I know that I know me as a person, if I bring work home, I'm, that's all I'm going to do. So I just don't bring even bring it home. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's part of the problem that I had when I experienced uh, some severe burnout was I would be, you know, I would get to school at 6 a.m., I would work, and then I would stay. You know, my kids might leave at 2.30. I would stay till 5, or I guess more like 4.30, 4.45. But I lived an hour away. So as I was driving, I would dictate into my phone, Google Keep or Notes or whatever, uh, lesson plan ideas or uh, to-do lists. And if I had something in that hour drive that I dictated into my phone – when I got home, that was just still so impressed in my mind. I would just go into our home office and and get on the the desktop computer and just start working again. And you know, it might be seven, eight o'clock at night, and my wife would say, "Hey, you haven't, you know, you haven't eaten anything. Also, when did you get home? Like, what are you doing?" Um, <laughs> so you know, like it it really. And at the time, I thought, you know, I need to invest everything and anything I have into my program to make it successful and into my career to make it successful. But all I was doing was setting up expectations that I uh, really just couldn't keep. It There was no longevity in the expectations I was setting up. Um, and that's a whole other conversation about what people expect of you is what you give them. Um, but I really set up that, you know, I was the person that could work 18 hours a day or I was the person that could do 20 million things for everything other than my class that, you know, it really messed with what I was able to do and my home life and my uh, mental health and all of those things. So really just finding that separate like this is my cutoff this is when i need to not do this anymore definitely set a deadline and stick to it and i think the the thing that i have done the one singular thing that i've done that has helped my mental health the most is taking my work email off my phone if you are listening and you have your work email on your phone take it off they don't need you that much i promise it is so distracting or at least turn off the notifications you don't need to know as soon as you get a work email all that is going to do is going to suck you in when you are at home 
so that you are not truly at home. You're still, your brain is still at work. So I highly, highly, highly recommend removing your work email from your phone. So as we close this interview, there's just been so much that we've talked about and I, I've absolutely loved this conversation, but I, I want to end it with saying, how can we advocate for ourselves as professionals and kind of say no and knowing our boundaries and limits with kind of balancing the, you know, we want to be a team player, but also realizing that we can't do everything. I think a lot of it, especially the, the saying no part and making sure that you are still a, a team player and all that stuff. I think you have to draw the line where it belongs and you, you have to stand behind it and support yourself and do not move no matter what. Um, it, it's really hard to learn that saying no does not mean that you're rude. It also doesn't mean you're unsupportive of what they're asking you to do. Um, it just shows that you care about yourself as much as you care about your students. Um, saying no is something that I personally still struggle with. And I, I think I'm getting better at it. But the the lesson of I'm not being standoffish or I'm not being mean when I say it is still something that I have to learn every day. Um, 100%. And I, I think especially with, with new teachers, I mean, all teachers, but especially with new teachers, learning to say no is so hard because again, that conservatory mindset is we do what we're asked because this is what everyone else has done. We, we, we have to go through the fire to come out the other side of diamond. And I think that's, it's really hard to break. <laughs> it is. And I mean, I said yes to so many things my first year teaching and even my second year teaching that, you know, my friends or my wife or my family would look at me and go, are you serious? That That's not, that's not even remotely near your department or your job. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I can, I can do it. I'm good at it. Um, you know, things like I mentioned earlier, like website design or uh, different little tech things here and there. I didn't mind doing it to help those people, but then I would have to play catch up with my own stuff at the end. And, you know, that's, that's where the real struggle of, you know, I'm not being rude by saying no comes in. Um, and, you know, to continue on that, you have to really find your community when it comes to setting your boundary and your limits and, advocating for yourself um your friends other teachers uh, people who might understand the struggle that you're dealing with and can help support you in setting up boundaries and knowing when you need someone to lean on and knowing when you need to, the little extra push um i will say that my assistant principal that i had was very very supportive in me saying like hey you know i need this boundary set up can you support me in that? And she was 100% behind it, um, which I do not think is a typical occurrence for a lot of teachers, especially music teachers. Most definitely. And I, I think you, you sum it up well by saying, find your community, find your people, find the people that are going to be there behind you, supporting you and, and talking you up and, you know, supporting you and just helping you with what you need because whether we like it or not, teaching gets hard <laughs> and teacher burnout is real. So find your people that can help you navigate the rough waters. Yeah. And even in your classroom, um, 
sometimes the content can be overwhelming or underwhelming and you have to force yourself to get through lessons or to get through your day, especially when you're feeling yourself burn out. Um, but something that I was told during a conducting clinic um, that I did in Chattanooga with the Chattanooga Symphony, uh, one of the very last lessons in one of the sessions that we had was make something beautiful every day. Do something beautiful every day. Um, and I think that that is also equally important for um, burnout and also in your classroom. Like it's it's not 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 every day can end positive with every class. But if you try to at least create something beautiful or make something beautiful within your job every day, then you can find some type of uh, emotional release or cathartic release in that. I can't think about of a better way to sum that up than make something beautiful every day. So James, before we sign off, can you tell my listeners where can we find more of you and how can we get in contact with you? Yes. So my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all the same username. It's Robinson Music Ed. Um, I think that my Twitter has the R, M, and E in each word capitalized, but it, it looks like you can just search them all up with all caps or not. Um, and you can reach out to me on there. You can Google or look up my name on Facebook. Um, you can find me at GoSaintsBand.com, which is Limestone University's uh, athletic bands page. And sincerely, anybody that wants to reach out, chat, I love meeting new people, especially music teachers. Um, I love meeting people with different backgrounds, getting to know people, and just chatting about music and education and life. Well, thank you so much. I will be sure to put all of those links in the show notes for anyone to check out as well. James, thank you so much for chatting with me about teacher burnout and just how we can try our best to fight it off. Uh, So thank you so much for taking some time and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.